Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Nell Thompson. Nell has been the coordinator of the National Getting to Zero program since 2012. Nell has worked in the animal welfare, care, and veterinary sectors for over 25 years, and her background in companion animal management, shelter operations, and management, and animal health is a great resource for councils, shelters, and all groups and individuals involved in the program. Nell is passionate about improving outcomes for pets who enter the shelter and pound systems and strongly believes that the best results occur when animal welfare and animal management are working together towards the same goals. And I will share that Nell is uh, currently and is in Australia at this point in time. Is that correct, Nell? That is correct. We have a bright sunny morning here. (laughs) And I'm in the middle of a snowstorm here in Vermont, so it's the beauty of technology. (laughs) <laughs> so welcome to the show, Nell. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Stacey. And I'd just like to find out quickly a little bit about your background. How did you develop a passion for cats? And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, getting to zero. Well, my journey in animal welfare really was heavily influenced by my parents. And I guess that's a story for so many people. But I was lucky that um, mum volunteered in shelters um, when I was a kid. And one of my earliest memories and experiences is of her dumping me in a a pen of puppies while she went and cleaned kennels and (laughs) things. And then I'd have to run the gauntlet. There was a the the shelter office was a caravan, and I would find Mum in there having a cup of tea or whatever. But there was a nasty old dog that lived under the caravan that didn't like children, so I would have to run the gauntlet um, to get into the into the office. But yeah, so that's kind of how it all started. And she volunteered on shelter boards. You know, we fostered cats and dogs. Our first cat was. Now I look back on it actually probably from a hoarder that we had living next door to us and was a a kitten that one of the mothers had dropped on our property and we hand raised it. So, yeah, when you look back on things, you think, oh, that that was actually that situation (laughs) that was happening there. (laughs) And then I went into, still as a child, um, advocacy work. So I was distributing information and petitions and things are um, produced by organisations such as Animal Liberation and covering issues like vivisection and battery farming. So a bit of an odd child, I will freely admit, but it, it kind of grew from there. And then I um, actually took a turn into the world of our native wildlife and thought that that was going to be my career path for a while. But after starting to volunteer for a fundraising group for one of our local shelters, that grew into volunteer work at the shelter itself with the animals, which then, of course, grew into a paid role. So, you know, these things kind of just roll along and suddenly you're working in the industry. But then I went um, and took a break from sheltering and joined the veterinary profession as what we call a veterinary nurse and you guys call a veterinary technician. And at the time, I was kind of wondering why that was happening, but now I look back and it was really valuable experience and knowledge that I picked up in the training 
And all of that has heavily influenced my work since. So I was very lucky to get that. And my contacts, you know, within that sector at the moment, at that time, influence me today and how I respond to things and think about things. So um, then I uh, returned to the not-for-profit world via managing a commercial boarding facility that was owned by a not-for-profit. And then they also ran a shelter as well. And I swapped back over to the shelter side of things not long after. And it was in this time that I was invited to sit on the National Getting to Zero Committee, the Steering Committee, which was an initiative delivered by the Animal Welfare League of Queensland. So I'm actually located in Victoria, which is one of the most southern state on the mainland in Australia. And Queensland is at the top of Australia. So it's a bit of an interesting, (laughs) but you know, this is, as you say, the advantages of technology these days. And given that it's a a national program, it doesn't matter where you live these days. So, but G2Z was the second national program to be developed and delivered by this state-based animal welfare organization. And the second one is the uh, National Dissexing Network And NDN, we shorten everything here in Australia. So NDN, G to Z. (laughs) We got our acronyms down, that's for sure. Yeah. Bring everything down. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a nationwide referral system for discounted dissexing. It's a bit like, I think, Spay USA. Yeah. I think it was based on that. And they also organized National Dissexing Month, which puts a spotlight on, obviously, the procedure and encourages councils and vets and community groups and not-for-profits to work with pet owners to make sure that they can access low-cost dissexing. So the the state-based organization delivers these two national programs, which is really quite unusual and lucky for me. So... G2Z itself came about when AWLQ or Animal Welfare League Queensland realised that the principles, structures and strategies that they'd implemented in the city of Gold Coast in Queensland, so where their main shelter is located, and the results that they achieved were replicable. And they wanted to share that information and encourage other organisations and communities to travel that road. So even though every community isn't the same and doesn't require exactly the same approach. There are a few standard things that can then be moulded to fit the individual situation. So in 2011, G2Z became a a proper program itself with a, a website, a standalone website, and I was lucky enough to become the first coordinator of the program in 2012. So it is a national program and the G2Z model details the principal structures and strategies aimed at improving outcomes for homeless companion animals in every community. So we mainly focus on cats and dogs and it's currently the only Australian body actively providing free remote and on-site consulting and support services and they that's generally for local government and not-for-profit organizations community groups etc and our aim is that we work with and alongside these groups in a respectful way to implement change so that's our approach to the whole relationship and the process moving forward from there 
So you then, uh, so in 2012, you sort of developed this program, you've grown it, you've done some consulting. I know there's been a lot of press about Australia and community cats and that kind of thing. And you recently held a conference. What was the uh, reasoning behind having the conference? Was it to be able to get the word out even more? Yeah. So one of the program's services is that we deliver this biennial national conference. So um, the version that we had in September, just gone, it was the seventh national G2Z summit and workshops. And we run them every, every two years in September. And the theme this year was getting them home, keeping them home. So we have a, a different theme every time. And this was the third edition of this event that I have delivered as part of this, um, as my role. And really it is, um, it's been one of the major drivers of change over the years in this country. It's the only event that we have. So essentially, if anyone's been to Animal Care Expo, it's a, a mini version of that. And mini by, you know, our populations are quite a bit smaller than yours. <laughs> and when I go to Expo and I see the organisation <laughs> that's entailed, I'm quite happy to have it the size that ours is. But it's it is important. So we, we gather together um, local and international experts and basically get everyone in the room, try and get all of the sectors that are involved in these issues. One of our drivers for the G2Z model is that we encourage collaboration and cooperation to achieve community change. And, you know, th- this is a good way to do that because our, our country is almost the same landmass as yours with significantly less population and significantly less sheltering facilities, whether they be government pounds or not-for-profit shelters. But actually getting people into contact with each other is really quite difficult. So, That was one of the drivers for this event. So the event itself comprises full day workshops on, you know, specific topics. So we cover animal management in one workshop, shelter medicine, behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And then they top and tail a full three-day conference. So we'll do full-day workshops on a Tuesday covering specific topics, have a three-day conference, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we have historically repeated the workshops on the Saturday to ensure that as many people as possible can take advantage of it, particularly as we only run every two years. So some people are able to do weekends versus during the week, et cetera, et cetera. And some people only come and do the workshops because they can only afford one day away. And that's fabulous. Anything is what we're aiming for. So we really want to bring together all of the sectors involved in the work and we, you know, invite all levels of government, not-for-profit welfare, shelter and rescue sector, and obviously the researchers, academics and the veterinary professions and also the pet industry because they are part of the story and we, we are seeing more and more shelter pets or rescue group pets being adopted out through our pet supply stores which is fantastic. So, yeah, we have a range of local and international presenters and we most often call upon the expertise of your professionals, actually. And the reason for that is that more than any other country, the United States seems to be the most similar to us culturally, even though our 
most recent history is more from the UK. We tend to be culturally much more like Americans. Uh, and so our, our cultural issues are very similar. And so we find that you know, if we look at the work that you guys are doing, we don't need to reinvent the wheel as much. And uh, we, we can often apply those principles and programs and um, methodologies and just uh, philosophies to what we're doing here. And the work that's happening around the world in this space is, uh, you know, incredible at the moment. And it's a great time. I always say to people, it's a fabulous time to be in animal sheltering. It really is particularly compared to 20 years ago. Let's make helping cats in your community easier. Join me and over 10 exceptional leaders for the first ever online cat conference. This virtual conference will be held January 26th through 28th, 2018, and will feature speakers like Brian Cordes of Neighborhood Cats, Hannah Shaw, the Kitten Lady, Katie Lisnick of the Humane Society of the United States, Nell Thompson from Getting to Zero in Australia, and many, many more. This is an affordable opportunity to learn from nationally and internationally known leaders in the field of community cat management and care. To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and sign up today to register. Fees go up on December 1st. Let's make helping cats easier in your community. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Yeah, so you're touching upon the fact that you're seeing some some changes for animals in you know Australia as we've seen changes happening here over the last 20 years so you're seeing some changes what what is the sort of the state of the community cat like in Australia it is under pressure <laughs> <laughs> we have and look i know that you guys experience these kind of attitudes to a degree as well but for a variety of reasons our cats are much maligned here, which is very distressing for all of us working in the space. As much as, and I, you know, referred earlier that, uh, you know, I was intending on working with wildlife at one stage in my career. So I'm very aware of the environmental factors and I myself live in a, um, a rural area very near a national park. I have, you know, developed my garden to be very small bird friendly and, you know, I'm, I'm very wildlife aware and, but that's not to say that, you know, we, we shouldn't be looking at all of the different options for management wherever they might be best applied. So Australia has been thought of as being quite unique in terms of our uh, wildlife and its response to predators. We don't have uh, many cat-sized predators here, and really the only other, or the only native one, and and even this is debated, is our dingo. And I think the dingo has been here about four and a half thousand years, and there are still some people who debate whether it's native or not. And the dingo is also under pressure because it interbreeds with wild dogs, etc. So we have this cycle of. Um, 
persecuting predators for a variety of reasons and whether that be their impact on farming stock, um, which is obviously the wild dog side of things, or the native wildlife. However, as I said, I think that, you know, certainly management tools such as TNR, there are plenty of places where that strategy would be completely appropriately applied over here. We have a lot of urban environments and, of course, that's really where our greatest concentration of community cats are. And um, we, in most states, TNR is currently illegal. We are actually um, not able to do it because legislation states that all cats must be owned, you know, and whether that includes registration, what it, microchipping, all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of work being done by locals on the ground here uh, in the research space, in the advocacy space, and of course those people who are just getting the programs done <laughs> underground. <laughs> right, doing it on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back to mum, that was something that she did. I remember her, you know, she's TNR'd over the years and it's always been a thing that we've done here in Australia or, or probably at least for the last 20 years, but it's certainly coming more out into the spotlight at the moment. So we have, and I'm sure you saw it, the federal initiative that was announced in uh, 2015 that the federal government wanted to kill one million cats. You know, uh, we don't even really know how many cats there are. There is some really dodgy data around and, and you know, so more information, of course, is always the answer. <laughs> we need more information. But in the meantime, we have to do something as well. So um, the program that you guys have over there, you know, trap neutering and releasing from a shelter would be amazing. And really that that's going to be the key to us, really making a big dent in our cat euthanasia numbers. We you know, A lot of the climate in Australia is very conducive to cat breeding. We don't have the shocking winters that you guys have, particularly where you are. So, you know, cats will often breed all year round. You know, it, it's very advantageous for them as an environment. So we really need to look at how we can implement uh, management strategies. And what, one of the issues that we as G2Z are pushing is uh, the desexing programs. So, you know, if we can maximize the number of owned or semi-owned or, you know, in any way attached to people, cats that are desexed, then we're going to make a dent somewhere. So, Right. I, I always reference back to, and many of my listeners have heard me harp on this before, you know, as I talk about Adam and Eve and, you know, if we're going to, if Adam and Eve are going to end up out there on the streets, we want to make sure they're spayed or neutered before, you know, they get out there. So even if we have our hands tied with regards to a trap, neuter and return program, we have you know, all the rights, no one's going to say no to like a free or very low cost spay neuter program for their owned cats. And so I almost think one prong that's almost more important in trying to get your population under control is offering the great beneficial programs of a subsidized spay neuter program in a target area and work on it very strategically. Agreed. Agreed. And targeting it, as you say, I mean, none of us have resources to burn. You know, if we did, then sure, open it up to everyone everywhere. But those areas where we are seeing significant shelter or pound intake, 
you know, the real hotspots. And we know now through the, the information regarding GIS mapping, you know, the work that's being done in the States that we can really get a good handle on that. And that's something that um, local government and not-for-profits can collaborate on really well to get that information and then affect change quite, you know, quite quickly. I mean, it really until our Facebook pages and local supermarket information boards are empty of free litters of kittens, <laughs> you know, we've got a job to do. And whilst those kittens are being born and, and they're feeding our um, semi-owned population. One of the other things that's come out of some research, which I'm proud to say was done here in Australia, um, Dr. Sarah Zito, she's really highlighted um, that our traditional animal management approach to cat management has been, okay, you have a cat, you own it, dissex it, register it, microchip it, etc. But it has missed out on this really large portion of people who they don't call themselves owners. They might just support a cat. And in fact, it might be a number of houses supporting this cat or a number of cats. They don't feel any responsibility as such, but they certainly feel an empathy for it. They may feed it or, you know, offer it shelter somewhere on the property. So, we, we haven't been accessing those cats at all other than trapping and killing. So changing the model of animal management from a municipal level is essential. We need to capture those people, not treat them like criminals or, um, you know, we need to engage them, explain to them how this whole system works because I think one of the other things that we forget being in this sector is that not everybody has the same information that we do. You know, for most people, a litter of kittens is a happy, wonderful thing, whereas for us, it, we kind of shiver a little bit. So, we need to impart that information, but in an engaging and collaborative way. And then, yes, offer them those preferably no cost, at the very least low cost resources and you know, I think we'd see great change there. So they're the sorts of things that we are pushing on here and the more information we can bring over about what's happening in different places and what the successes are. I mean, John Cicerelli came and spoke to us in 2015, you know, and that paper that he he participated in the development of with their shelter neuter release program, I mean, that's a game changer to have that published but, you know, because we're so unique and so many of our community want to see research in Australia, so that that's the thing that's being focused on at the moment, what, what the impacts are here specifically. So, yeah, and, I mean, you guys are so incredibly lucky to have the resources that you do in your country. You've got shelter medicine and research departments and granting bodies specifically focused on these sorts of issues and shelter consultants, etc. So, there are definitely advantages to having a large population, I think, although then your semi-owned cat population has probably grown significantly as well. So, <laughs> it swings are Pos Positives and negatives and, and that kind of thing too. Um, one question that I have too is, so if, if someone's listening to the show um, and they're not in Australia, is there something that we can do to help facilitate your efforts? Um, look, I think staying across our communications and talking about things. I mean, one of the big 
drivers of this program is reaching out, talking to people. So the more people that talk to each other about all of these issues, and it doesn't matter if you're in Botswana or the United States or Australia or whatever, just by talking to people, and I don't mean educating, you know, Miles Chadwick came and, and spoke to us at the summit this year and, you know, his notion of Adults don't like to be educated too. They like to have a conversation. That really resonated with me. So just those conversations and alerting people to what the realities are, particularly with cats, and I think internationally we're seeing that cats are um, more of an issue than dogs generally, is really the best way. And that supports everybody's programs and, and everybody's, you know, strategies and, and their goals and where everyone's going. So keeping up with new information. I know that embracing all of this new knowledge can be really uncomfortable at times. And I feel that myself, um, you know, that old concept of cognitive dissonance. I think we can all relate to having experienced that in our work, but we need to accept that discomfort and push through it to a degree to be constantly learning and challenging ourselves. So even though something, I mean, up until not long ago, the concept of TNR within the animal welfare space here was not looked upon positively. Um, it was, you know, surely it was. it's abandoning them to a life of, you know, whatever it might be. So there was a lot of people that needed to go through that mental discomfort to to realise that, okay, let, let's actually look at the data on this. And once again, there was some great research that came out of New Zealand to show that the physical scoring of welfare of cats in these programs is not any different and, in fact, can almost be better than what we consider to be an owned cat. So your or my cat living inside the house, they obviously don't suffer from things like obesity and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I think we've nipped all that in the bud, we can show that when these, when the programs are managed, these cats are having, you know, as good a life as they can. And we just need to get our heads around that really. So if folks are interested in finding out more about getting to zero, how would they reach out to you? Uh, They will find us at g2z.org.au is the website. Info at g2z.org.au is the email address. And we also have, um, we are present on the Book of Faces and on Twitter at G2Z Australia. And I would encourage everyone to sign up for the e-news, keep an eye on our social media, uh, keep an eye, the, the website has a whole host of resources, including how to develop a collaborative desexing program with your council, the local vets and the community, and really how to, you know, engage people on those issues. Uh, So, yeah, they're the best places to find us. Great. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yes, I think there is. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. Don't be afraid to ask questions or to try to improve. None of us have this down to perfection or probably any aspect of life. (laughs) And you're not expected to know everything. So, tapping into external resources is essential and do that wherever they're offered to you. Being transparent and open and willing to learn will ensure that you're doing the very best for the pets in your care and in the community as a whole. And in addition to that, I would say don't forget to register for the CCP Online Cat Conference. I'm really excited to be 
a part of that and to share more about uh, G2Z and the results that it's seen with its implementation in the city of Gold Coast and in other areas. So um, I hope to see you all there as well. That's great. Yes, Nell, you'll be joining us at the end of the month, at the end of January at the online conference. And it's just onlinecatconference.com and you can find out more information there. So thank you so much for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Nell, it's a pleasure to chat with you today. And I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Stacey. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 